0: Our uh, scripture for the message this morning uh, comes from uh, the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, verses 15 to 23, and we read this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever experienced a thin moment? By this, I mean, have you ever felt the presence of God break into your life in some tangible, unexpected way? We get this phrase, thin moment, from the Celtic Christians, and they called these spiritually profound moments thin because they believe the veil separating this world and the next had become almost transparent, so that we experience God's love or his peace or his joy in this real new and powerful way. In these moments, the spiritual reality resting just outside our perception seems to invade our normal life opening our eyes to what's already been going on around us, even if we've never really seen it before. God somehow feels closer than normal, which makes that moment sacred and holy. I've experienced a few of these, um, usually sometimes on on trips with students, um, when we are all together and praying, we feel that God is has touched the group in a new way, but one instance that I always will remember uh, occurred for me while I was hiking uh, Mount Summers, which was a mountain in New Zealand high above uh, the Canterbury Plains. So hiking in general is a a pretty unique experience, right? Um, It's a lot of work, and then it is a lot of beauty. You do encounter a lot of beauty. The first day we went endlessly up. That was pretty much every moment of the trail was just up. And we found scenic views almost around every corner. They were everywhere. But the beauty we encountered failed to register with me on any deeper level. I was like, of course, it's beautiful, it's, that's nice. I wasn't used to the work the hike required, so I was distracted by the heaviness of my pack, how tired I felt. Um, if I were honest, I was really just concerned about keeping moving, making sure that one foot went into, in front of the other. That was how you know tired it was. Um, But sometime during that second day, looking over the same mountains and valleys, I'd viewed a thousand times already something changed. It felt like my, my, my soul or my heart switched channels and suddenly I was able to see the world around me for the very first time. It was like falling into the land of Oz because all of a sudden here was real color. Here was splendor. Here was wonder. I had been living in a world of black and white, and somehow I had stumbled into glory. This mountainside, I hadn't noticed it before, but it was the source of every cool and refreshing wind I'd ever experienced in my life. Nowhere else did the sun shine so brightly or the air so pure. For just a moment, and it was just a moment, it felt like the Lord had brushed (laughs) away the dust of this broken earth from my eyes and let me clearly behold the beauty of his creation. The moment captured my attention for what seemed like ages, but eventually a cloud came over the top of the mountain and it blanketed the world in this deep gray fog. The hike went on and slowly the feeling of God's presence faded. Most thin moments, most moments when we experience God in this way, sometimes we call them mountaintop experiences, work like this. We behold the glory of God in a special way that changes something inside, but over time, we drift back into comfortable patterns. Time dulls the memories of how God once crashed into our world, which leaves us equally disappointed, but also desperate for it to happen again. We want to feel and experience God in that powerful way. For the rest of our lives, we long for God to come close to us again to experience the presence of God in ways that made us feel truly alive. But if we're honest, and as we look through Scripture, these thin moments were never designed to sustain us in the valleys and deserts of this life. We might feel God's presence in a breathtaking sunset, but it's hard to recognize His movement when we're stuck in traffic, in the rain, and we're running late, and we have a building headache. It can be difficult, sometimes impossible, to recognize God when we're working our way through all those mundane moments of running errands and paying bills, of doing homework if you're young, or pulling up weeds in the garden. Even worship, when we come to gather as people of God, can sometimes feel rote or habitual. No matter how many thin moments we experience, we always return to regular life where God's presence seems glaringly absent. As people who have seen the glimpses of God in these powerful ways, we are, of course, grateful. But we also might, we might wrongly assume that God isn't quite as powerful or present as he claims to be. If he loves us so deeply, then why doesn't he seem to show up in the grocery store or the office? If he's powerful enough to enter our lives sometimes, why doesn't he do it all the time? Why don't we have that connection all the time? These are legitimate questions, but the Apostle Paul wants us to remember the reason we fail to see the Lord in our daily lives rests not with the Lord, but us. Addressing thoughts exactly like this in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul begins with two points that remind us the problem isn't God's absence, but our faulty vision. First, Paul tells the people that every time he remembers believers in Ephesus, he prays that God may give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, in other words, that they might see, that they may know him better. Paul desires that the Ephesians know God more deeply, which implies they don't know him as well as they could. Now, this isn't to say that the Ephesians were spiritual slackers. They weren't. But Paul recognizes that even faithful believers must continuously look. They must strive to know God more because our knowledge of God will always be just one small piece of a much greater whole. This plays into his second piece of encouragement when he says that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which he has called them, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Again, there's nothing wrong with a more comprehensive awareness of God's grace, but Paul wants the Ephesians to remember that as members of humanity, their ability to see God has been fatally compromised by their sin. They suffer from a spiritual blindness which prevents them from seeing how God is actually working and moving in their lives and the world around them. Despite their relationship with the Lord, their sin it will always keep them from seeing the full hope that they have in Jesus, the blessings of Christ in their lives, and most importantly, the presence of God's power in their world. The Ephesians then, and us today, seek and search for God, but when we don't find him, we wrongly assume he's not there. But our blindness does not convey the truth, for God's power is more alive and active in this world than we know. The power and presence of God isn't rare. It's just the opposite. Our Lord is always present whether we see him or not. In this letter, Paul emphasizes a particular word that demonstrates the ever-moving activity of the Holy Spirit, describing God's power with the Greek word dynamos. Does that sound familiar, "dynamus"? This word is the root of English words like dynamic, or more specifically, dynamite. Right? Dynamite. Explosive. The kind of power that God has, uh, that he uh, operates in, is explosive, but that is also the same kind of power that he gives to his children. Paul considers the power of the Spirit moving in this world and through us to be literally explosive, in equal measure dangerous and wonderful. Several years before Paul wrote this letter, God put his power on display in a manner never to be rivaled. God's presence and power used to be seen in only one place, the holy of holies within the temple. But things changed when Jesus was crucified on the cross. The temple curtain tore in two, and the presence of God entered the world in a new way through the Holy Spirit. In his death and resurrection, Jesus united humanity to God with a power that could never be broken or diminished. The Spirit was no longer confined to the temple, but permeated the entire world, including the hearts of humanity. Early Church Father Basil the Great, I think it's Basil, it might be basil. Basil's a plant though, basil, basil. <laughs> Early Church Father Basil the Great wrote that after the resurrection, the Spirit fills all things by his power. Holy present to each of us, and holy present everywhere. Divided without passion, being shared, yet remaining whole. And this is his metaphor. Like a ray of sun, whose favor to him who enjoys it is as if to him alone, but which shines over land and sea and is diffused into the air. Even so, the Holy Spirit, while he is present to every heart, capable of refu- of receiving him infuses into all a grace complete and sufficient the same spirit who breathes life into every living creature infuses our world with glimpses into eternity we live in a world full of our lord's dynamic earth-shattering soul rattling power And if this is true, then we must tread carefully. We must choose our steps wisely. God could be anywhere doing anything. One way to think about the empty tomb at the resurrection is that if Jesus isn't there, then where might he be instead? He could be next to you right now. If the Spirit isn't in the temple, he could be Anywhere, if he can surprise us at any moment, then we'll never be, as some of us might think of it, safe from God's presence. Safe from the invitation of God saying, there is more to your life. That invitation of doing more for God's kingdom. Our eyes must always be open, ready for him to enter our life and remind us of who we are and what he can do through us. C.S. Lewis describes the Spirit's uh, omnipresence, his presence everywhere in this world, in our still broken world like this. A young man or woman who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful. There are traps laid by the Spirit everywhere. Bibles laid open millions of surprises, as George Herbert says, fine nets and stratagems. God is, if I may say it, very unscrupulous when it comes to seeking his children. He can be found everywhere. Through the Spirit, the power of the Lord can fall upon us whenever he pleases. His presence could break into our life in ways that capture our hearts at any moment. But best of all, the Holy Spirit brings the presence of God to us, not just in those profound spiritual moments of clarity and wonder, not just in thin moments, but in the routines of daily life. Our God, the Holy Spirit, desires to make every moment that we are awake a thin moment. The promise of the Spirit leaving the temple is that he will light our regular life ablaze with his love. His power can manifest itself in the middle I don't know, of doing your taxes during piano practice when we're socializing with friends. In fact, Jesus promises that the Spirit really is with us as we wait in line for, for coffee, as we are pulling the casserole out of the oven, as we're watching TV, as we dove, doze off to sleep. In fact, We are likely at the greatest risk of God doing something unexpected in those mundane moments where we don't expect him to move or show up at all. With Jesus, our God can show up at any time and any place. Authors George MacDonald and C.S. Lewis understood this well. So both of these guys wrote stories, mainly for children, but really for everyone, um, and their stories revolved on the reality that God can break into our normal lives in magical and wondrous ways. Uh, George MacDonald uh, began many of his stories with the phrase, on the borders of fairyland. And somebody asked him about that uh, one time, and he said, well, I write that because uh, because he believed that humanity exists just on the edges of God's kingdom." So in his stories, no one knew where the borders of fairyland began or ended. So you would often, these characters would often stumble into a completely different realm in very ordinary ways. They would turn a corner that they turned every day for the past few years. They'd look out the window, their regular window. They wandered through a garden and then they suddenly found themselves in an adventure they hadn't planned or anticipated. McDonald knew at any moment we might be caught up in something beyond us, but completely for our good. C.S. Lewis, too, recognized faith was an invitation into a wonderful adventure that be- could begin at any moment because the Lord was always on the move. If you remember uh, his story, The Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe. How did those four children get into the magical world of Narnia? They didn't do uh, fancy rituals. They didn't say magic words. They stumbled upon an utterly common object, an old wardrobe in an abandoned room full of the dust and grime of a fallen world. Lewis understood that any moment might be used by the Lord to grant his children a taste of eternity, a taste of heaven an opportunity in which all of us might do amazing things for his kingdom. Paul's letter to the Ephesians reveals that God's kingdom really is waiting to break into our world at any and every moment, so long as our faith remains open to the possibility of the Spirit's movement. But there's one final, deeper truth for us to understand from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The amazing power of God does not exist solely beyond or around us, not only in the world in which we live, but comes to dwell within us. Jesus sends the same spirit who created the universe to live inside his disciples, operating with the same dynamic power that defeated death and ushered in his kingdom. His presence is designed to take root in his children, beginning a transformation that brings them from sinner to saint, from death to life. The dynamite-like power of the Spirit is not reserved for thin moments on the mountaintop, but every waking moment. Expanding our dreams beyond the boundaries of our fear, building hope in in the face of despair and transforming us, and the faithful children of God. When the power, when the presence of God moves inside us, we are changed. No one remains unchanged by the love that He plants inside us. How can we live a normal life when His Spirit lives inside us, always working to redeem us and transform us, always opening our eyes? to how he is working in our world around us. That is the promise that we have as believers. Now, of course, it's difficult sometimes, maybe a lot of times, to believe the power of God really rests within us. Surely that kind of blessing is meant for saints or super-Christians who set the standard for devotion Maybe that kind of power couldn't move in us because we sin so freely, we doubt so often. If we can't even see the Spirit moving around us in the slow moments of life, then how can we believe that he dwells within us? But Paul here wants us to remember that that power does dwell in us. This power does move around us. We are like superheroes that doubt or have forgotten the scope of our powers. Surely we 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 resemble the mediocre Clark Kent more than Superman. But church, be of good cheer. Our strength comes from the Lord of heaven and earth, who can do all things, whose spirit rests in us and whose power has no limit or weakness. The dynamic power of God does not solely reside within the confines of mountaintop experiences or thin moments, but is loose in our world and always does his best work through regular people like you and me. So open your eyes. Open your eyes and look for the spirit moving around you. Open your eyes so that you may know the Lord of God better, that we all might see him moving in the regular moments of this life. And remember that the spirit has come to move through normal people, just like us. Hallelujah. Amen.